Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Micah. And I, I know you're going, Micah, oh no. Well, you know, look it up on your phone, or you can go to the middle of your Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Micah. Um, yeah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Micah. Um, Micah, chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 6. Micah 4, verse 6. And this is God's word. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, and now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now, many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Now, muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now, He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, about, uh, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago or so, 17 years ago, uh, the Ukrainian symphony came through here for the first time. Y'all kind of remember that? This, this Ukrainian symphony came through and they did a concert. We had to house them uh, and they all had, you know, meal requirements and they, all they ate was meat and you had to have a lot of meat in your freezer and all that stuff. And so they would stay in your house. Well, it was kind of cool. These two guys stayed with me. One of them was on a hunger strike, so that was easy. Um, <laughs> Uh, and he, oh, and he defected and went to went to uh, a college in sh- uh, Chicago. He was the only one who had his own passport. Anyway, and then the other guy was kind of this older fella. And um, so when when we went on, when we went on a mission trip to Ukraine, I was able to go to the guy's house who was in my house, which was pretty cool. And he was an atheist um, singer, a bass singer, and um, 
they had me over for dinner. It was really a really cool thing. And uh, so I'm at his house, and he took me out on his little balcony. And I mean, when I say house, it was on the ninth floor of this Soviet-looking building. And let me tell you, they're all hideous. You know how they're portrayed in the James Bond movie? Like, ugly. Everything's ugly. Ugly, ugly, ugly communism. That's their, that's their building style. Anyway, so we're up on his just cramped little apartment. There's seven people that live in this little two-room thing. But there's this tiny balcony. It took me out. And uh, so we're in Kiev. They say Kiev. Kiev, Ukraine. Kiev, Kiev. And uh, he, he says, we go out on his balcony, and the first thing he says is, that's Chernobyl. And so we're nine stories up, and, you know, Chernobyl is actually 68 miles away, so it's not like we're looking at a nuclear reactor, but he's saying, that's Chernobyl. And uh, uh, you just really felt that tragedy, uh, that disaster, Chernobyl, going, wow, it's only, an, it's like from here to Jackson, Tennessee, that's pretty scary to have a meltdown that close to you. You know, you just kind of feel that weight. Well, I don't know if you've looked at Chernobyl stuff or not, but you remember that 30, it was 30 years ago on my wife's birthday in 1986 when the Chernobyl uh, accident happened. They didn't have some kind of safety mechanism at this nuclear plant, and they installed one. They tested it, and in testing it, it caused an explosion <laughs> and uh, a fire, and the nuclear reactor uh, core melt, melt. There was a meltdown. Well, what they had to do was put this 19-mile barrier around uh, the nuclear reactor, and it's called the zone of alienation. And basically, everybody who was in that zone of alienation had to get out and leave everything. (laughs) And uh, you can get online and look at it. It's wild to look at people's homes and schools and hospitals and roads. It's just completely abandoned, and the earth is taking it back. Grass is growing all over it and everything. And they say that it's not safe for human um, living for another 20,000 years. It's a long time. <laughs> it's not going to be safe for human beings in this 19-mile area for 20,000 years in this zone of alienation. So just imagine that. I mean, I'm standing on that balcony looking out there and what he's thinking. Um, you'd, you'd have to leave everything that you'd ever known, everything that was important to you, every little treasure left behind is contaminated. Um, and, and everything that you'd ever known as normal is completely changed and will never be back that way again. Well, I think you can relate to that. Um, I think there are things in our lives that uh, happen. Uh, sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's uh, been imposed upon us. But um, uh, your life changes, and it will never be the way it was before. And I've got to be careful because I don't want to import meaning into this passage or, or sentimentalize it or anything like that. What I'm, I'm pointing all that out to you because I want you to feel it. I want you to feel what these people are feeling when they're reading this stuff about uh, uh, God and what he's done and where they are and his intervention and his ultimate plan. I want you to feel the weight of uh, what they're feeling when lives collapse. Their lives collapsed. Their kingdom, you know, people go, whatever happened to the kingdom of David? Well, what happened to the kingdom of David is Jesus. That's the shorthand answer. That's what happened to the kingdom of David, Jesus, okay? But in the intermediate place, what happened to the kingdom of David? It fell apart, and these are the people who are experiencing it's falling apart, where they're carried off into captivity. Um, They failed because they were they failed to be faithful to God, but God was faithful to his own promise, which was to say, if you do this, I'll behave this way, but if you do this, I'll behave this way. They chose this way, and he's good to his promise. God is faithful uh, to his promises, and that means he's faithful in everything. Um, So, you look at this passage, 
And um, let, let me put it to you this way before we go to our main, main point here. I think, ladies and gentlemen, that we, can, that we can look at this and say sin can put you in a zone of alienation. Sin can do that. It can cause your life to implode. It can cause this kind of scorched earth. It can, it can take away everything that you've known to be normal and change it. And it's not going to come back. It's going to be changed forever. Um, and, and there can be little hope of rescue. But here's the big idea. God can start his restoration work in the bleakest places. That is quite clear from this passage. All right, so let's go to our first point, which is this. Um, good news for the lame, the driven away, and the afflicted. Um, now, Micah, this book, this, this book of Micah, Micah's unique um, uh, as a prophet in that his call as a prophet is not recorded. So it doesn't say like, uh, you know, Isaiah, in the year the King Uzziah died, I saw a vision and so on. There's nothing like that. It's, it, there's no uh, record of his call to being a prophet. Further, um, his, his um, prophetic voice is not identified with lineage. It's identified from a place. He's Micah from, uh, where is it? It starts with an M, uh, Morasheth. He's Micah from Morasheth. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, Micah is a minor prophet. He's a little bit different. But also, he's never explicitly called a prophet. Okay, so it's, he's never uh, explicitly identified as a prophet, but um, in chapter 3, verse 8, he says this. He says, as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Well, n- number one, that sounds really prophety doesn't it? That he, he's full of the power of the Lord. He knows that he is, and he's declaring a message of justice and might um, to, clear, to, to Jacob his transgression and Israel his sin. That's prophecy indeed. And not only that, there's the, his name, Micah. Um, you know what Micah means? It means, who is like Jehovah? Pretty cool name. Who is like Jehovah? And what's amazing is you go to the end of the book, go to chapter 7. But at the end of the book, chapter 7, verse 18, he closes with this. Who is a God like you? <laughs> is that not cool? He's, he's Micah the prophet. Who is like Jehovah? Here's how he closes up shop. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. Passing over transgression. I mean, is that not amazing? He comes with a voice from God, uh, a message from God about judgment, but he closes his his um, delivery of judgment with this. Who's a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He doesn't retain his anger forever, but delights in steadfast love. He will have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You'll cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You'll show faithfulness to Jacob, steadfast love to Abram, as you've sworn to our fathers from days of old. In other words, God's going to keep his promise. Well, that, that's quite a, quite a set of bookends, isn't it? Who is a God like this? I mean, here's a word of judgment, but within that word of judgment is this word of great and ultimate hope. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the passage itself, uh, verse 6. It says, uh, in that day, declares the Lord, chapter 4, verse 6, in that day, declares the Lord. What day is a, is a good question. What, what day? Uh, some translations have, um, in that time, declares the Lord. Others say, in that coming day. Um, uh, one uh, tra- commentator says, uh, at the end of the days. Um, it, it seems to be, uh, 
it seems to have more than just an immediate application to it. It seems to have uh, kind of a, a, an eschatological flow to it, this kind of end time weight. Um, um, look at chapter 3, verse 12. Um, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, the mountain of the house, a wooded height. Um, that, that's, that's, that's pretty scary stuff. That's heavy stuff. And uh, that God would deliver from that would be, would, would be wonderful indeed. But look at the epic speak here. Um, uh, chapter 7, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 7, verse 7 of chapter 4. The lame I will make a remnant. Those who were cast off a strong nation, the Lord will reign over them from this time forth and forevermore. I mean, that's really epic-y, isn't it? it it's, it's, uh, it's Lord of the Ringsy. I mean, when you hear how bad the scenario, oh, Jerusalem's going to become a heap of ruins, the city's going to be plowed, um, the mountain of the house is going to become a wooded height. I mean, it's a, a zone of alienation. The earth is going to take it all back, Jerusalem, so heavy is the judgment, and yet the lame I will make a remnant. <laughs> and by the way, I'm going to do it from this time forth forevermore. I mean, there's this eternal weight attached to the whole thing. So yeah, there's an immediate, there's an immediate sense for the re- receivers of this word, but there's this ultimate sense of ultimate restoration too. God's going to do what he said uh, and punish wickedness. Now listen to the bleak diagnosis. Um, you don't have to turn, but in chapter 1, verse 9, it says that Jerusalem, excuse me, Ju- Judah, Jerusalem in Judah, Judah's wound is incurable. Well, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? Judah's wound is incurable. So that's what makes the question so potent. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like unto thee? Um, you know, chapter 7, verse 19, um, he will again have compassion on us. I mean, that, that's just so amazing. So the question is, at hand is, how will he accomplish this? Well, here's the plan. Um, he's going to, uh, in verse 6, assemble the lame. He's going to gather those who have been driven away. He's going to collect up those who he's afflicted. Um, um, Two critical things for you to see here. First off, notice how unflinchingly the Bible puts it. I mean, there's no, uh, oh, uh, there's no like PR marketing to try to make this more palatable, more sellable to the culture. Um, Look what's happening here. I mean, you see that God God says, I will assemble the lame. I will gather those. Um, but, But look who's been doing it. I'll assemble the lame, that's great. I'll gather those who have been driven away. Who did all that? Those whom I have afflicted. The lame, I will make a remnant. It, it, God takes full credit for it. Yeah, they're lame, they're limping, they're afflicted, they're hurting. Sin has caused a zone of alienation. And guess who did that to them? I did, says the Lord. I did it. I afflicted them. All right, so, you know, in fact, some translations have the word injured. I injured them. Doesn't even flinch to say that. Um, And secondly, in this passage, there are shepherdly overtones to it. I mean, uh, you've got this uh, verbiage like lame, afflicted, uh, driven away, or you may have outcast. Uh, that speaks to a leader or a savior or a shepherd figure. It's, a, it's, it's shepherdy language in the scriptures um, to, to go after the lame, to go after the one who wandered off like an idiot and go save them. Uh, it's very shepherdly. Uh, there's an eternal dimension to all this as well uh, at the very end of uh, verse 7, as we said, from this time forth and forevermore. Now, an application for your life is this. 
Um, one commentator I was reading, uh, he, he said this, um, how was a future for Israel to be attained? How is this possible? So that's the question. It remained only a dream while the people and territory of this God languished in the doldrums of disaster. That's, uh, that's pretty pithy, isn't it? They languished in the doldrums of disaster. How is it possible um, that, that, that they can be rescue, rescued? Let me ask you a question. Um, have you uh, languished in the doldrums of disaster? Um, sin can bring about such humiliation and tearing down and, um, and, and embarrassment and harm where you just can't seem to crawl out. You lose your dignity. Um, your kids find out. I mean, it's just it's humiliating. There's this zone of alienation. Can you be pulled from it? Can you be rescued? Um, you know, this writer goes on to say, and I, I find this refreshing too. He says, their depression... Okay, the readers of this, those who are lame and afflicted and carried off into exile, their depression cannot be lightly waved away, for it is sufficiently grounded in reason. In other words, he's, he's saying, yeah, don't feel like uh, it's bad for you to be bummed out. It's sane for you to be bummed out because you're in a really horrible situation. It's, it's full of reason. Um, um, God's wrath against sin is deserved, but there's a hidden morsel of hope in all this, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there are shepherdly overtones, as I said, to the, to the idea of being lame, to the idea of being driven off, wandering off. It is this idea that the shepherd is going to go get them. The shepherd is going to find the undesirable and the filthy and the matted and the lost and the utterly helpless sheep and uh, the eternal aspect of this hope is key, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, from this time forth, in verse 7, and forevermore. I mean, what a comfort. In fact, um, oh, in chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, um, it says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. I mean, this shepherd, deliverer, savior figure, cryptic as it may be, is this promised character that's going to come and help Israel. Now, why does that make such a huge difference? Well, you know, um, you remember we went, uh, we went into uh, Iraq the first time under the, uh, uh, the, under the one George Bush, and then we went into the Iraq again. And, um, you know, one of the things that made it so so bad over there, especially the first time, is um, America, yay, we go in there, and yay, we saved it, and uh, we saved the little, in, the, the, we fixed the invasion problem and all that stuff, and uh, we go into Iraq and all that, yay, the people, and, um, and so the people start going, yeah, uh, who's, uh, oh, S- uh, Saddam, yeah, Saddam, you're icky, we hate you, and, and uh, the people are rising up, and we're going to be free, and then what do we do? We leave. And right when everybody's emboldened and feeling like they've got courage and it's going to be okay, we pull out the strength and all of a sudden, bam, oppression. Now you can imagine the next time we go in, they're like, oh, you're here again. Great. Oh, we're going to have a democracy, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, we'll be sure to buy into that. I mean, you can imagine how scary that would be, right, to commit. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Um, God's interest and care for the true Israel is forever. 
in this Savior figure. Uh, uh, it's forever, and in that is great comfort, ladies and gentlemen. God is with us. He, the, the, the work he's begun, he will surely complete. He's not going to pull out, and that's one of the great messages of this. Uh, these people have sinned, and it has caused them to be put in a zone of alienation, but God has not given up. All right, our next point, and it's the last one. There's, there's kind of three things that we're going to look at. Uh, you may notice that um, there are three nows. Uh, there are more than that, but uh, nows that kind of had a, had a hunk of stuff. In verse 9, now, why do you cry aloud? Verse 11, now, you may have and now, but the ESV has now many nations. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, now muster your troops. Um, uh, let's, let's look at those together. They, they kind of come as a set. So verse 9, now, why do you cry aloud? Now, folks, understanding that now is important. There's a difference between saying, now, you are all seated in chairs. Okay, that's a fact. You are all seated in chairs now. Okay, but there's a difference between that now and me saying, hey, guys, now we're cooking with gas. Because when I say that, there's like a future now to it, right? When I say, now we're cooking with gas, it means hot dog, we're equipped, we're heading somewhere, let's go. There's a, like a forward motion to it that's different than a static use of the word, which is now we're sitting in chairs. Blech. Okay, so there's a forward motion to this now. And uh, Micah, ladies and gentlemen, is delivering a very unpopular uh, message. In fact, it, it probably didn't make him very popular either. It's a, it's, a, it's a word about the future. It's not very pretty. Basically, his message is this. Um, uh, if you think it's bad now, guess what? It's going to get worse, which, by the way, is also a very common thing in sin. When you think you've hit rock bottom, oh, so this is rock bottom because of sin. Oh, is this where I am? Rock bottom. Guess what? Um, three days may pass, and you go, oh, this is rock bottom. I thought it was humiliating before, but now, oh, now this is rock bottom. I mean, sin can do that. Well, it, it's happening here. Um, and, and listen, there's sarcasm in this, okay? It's dripping with sarcasm, Micah's sarcasm. He says in verse 9, he, he, he's not like encouraging them that with these lovely facts. Uh, hey, uh, is there no king in you? There is. Is your counselor gone? There, he's not gone. No, the king is gone. The counselor is gone. There's sarcasm. He says, now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Then they're in the zone of alienation going, nope, there is no king. <laughs> Dead. Um, has your counselor perished? Uh, yes, the counselor has perished. Um, uh, that, has pain seized you like a woman in labor? Yeah. It's, it's, we're, we're really suffering here. Here's Micah's word. Well, writhe and groan. Feel it. Hurt? Are you hurt? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now, you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. He's going, you think you hit rock bottom? It's bad over there, huh, in captivity? Yeah, it's, it's, it's bad being carted off, and maybe some of you are in slave labor. I don't know, but uh, um, it's, it's pretty horrible, isn't it? The kingdom's gone. We're, we're, what, the temple is desecrated. It's bad, right? But it's going to get worse because if you thought you were going to, if you thought you hated it in the city, uh, you're going to go out from the city and dwell in the open country like a bunch of nomads. And uh, you're going to go to Babylon. 
Babylon, just for you, so you know, is not a friendly Bible word. It's like, the, it's like the, 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 the word that sums up everything that's bad. Notice, though, ladies and gentlemen, this is just amazing. Um, it, the very next breath is this. There you shall be rescued. It's just unbelievable. Um, yeah, it's bad. King's gone. Counselor's gone. You're in pain. It's going to get worse. You're going to even lose what you got now. It's gonna, you're going to go lower. That's what sin does. It takes you lower and lower. And in the next breath, in Babylon, there you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. I, I'd call that, I'd call that a, 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 as bleak a scene as you can get juxtaposed with just the, the most hopeful word that, that, that God can redeem from even the bleakest places. Um, I, I've known... Um, a few godly men and women who have hardened their hearts enough to be to to, to sink into into the rejection of God and to allow for a numbed conscience and to live a life of rebellion, um, and they sink to rock bottom and then they go lower and then they go lower and they go lower. But here's you know the bad news is um, you're going to go out and out, out and dwell out in the open and all that stuff. But in the next breath, um, God can rescue you from even that place, and that's a, a great word of hope. That's that's your application. So I would say if you're at rock bottom now or if you're feeling like you might be at rock bottom and there's more rock bottom heading your way, don't wait, ladies and gentlemen. Pray now. Um, seek help now. Submit 100% of yourself uh, to God and his will now uh, because God can work now. You don't have to get cleaned up to join the Christian club and to the, the good enough club where God goes, okay, well, now you're a little better, so you're not as disgusting. No, ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, you don't have to get cleaned up. Um, God continues the work he began in you, even from the saddest places. All right, um, the next now is here in verse 11. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gaze upon Zion. And when it says, let our eyes gaze upon Zion, the idea is, um, uh, the idea is of humiliation. It's, it's kind of like a, a woman uh, stripped in front of everyone uh, and, and, and brought to humiliation. That's the idea there. Let our eyes gaze upon her, gaze upon her in, in humiliation. That's what the nations are doing. They're looking, at, they're looking at David's kingdom. They're looking at the Israelites, and they're going, yep, we're assembled against her. Let her be defiled. Uh, we'll gaze on her. Um, and uh, they're not rooting for her. It's, it's, it's bad. Uh, that, again, forecasts the future in, in kind of a way, the humiliation that comes with sin. But look at verse 11. Um, many nations assembled, and so on. Verse 12, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them to be sheaves to the threshing floor. And uh, it goes on with, uh, with more of that terminology. Um, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. I'll make your horn iron. I'll make your hoofs bronze. The idea is you've got this cow um, treading the grain, and God is saying, oh, I'm going to make those hooves so awesome, and that grain is going to pulverize, be pulverized. Uh, the nations don't know my plans. Yeah, they look at you in disdain. They see you in your zone of alienation. And they go, ha, ha, their God failed them. Look at all that. Look at their humiliation and their sin. Uh, but God says, don't worry. Um, I'm going to grind them up and pulverize them. And check out this word of raw encouragement. Um, 
You shall beat in pieces many people and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Friends, uh, application for you, don't lose hope. Um, If your life has sunk into a place that you didn't think it could sink, um, there is still rescue for you. Uh, If you're humiliated before God and his holiness, then just come to him uh, today. Um, Fall at his feet. Confess specifically each sin. Um, Seek wisdom from other counselors. Ask forgiveness in Christ. Beg for forgiveness in the Holy Spirit. And tell him you want to submit to him uh, and his good and pleasing and perfect will. All right, let's go to the last now, which is chapter 5, verse 1. Now, muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Uh, now, there, there's, there's some hard, hard translation in this, um, but some translations have slash yourselves in grief, and it's just very hard to translate. There's, a, there's apparently a word play in there, too, kind of a pun, two words that look similar to each other. Um, but, but, but the idea then, folks, is um, whether it's slash yourselves in grief or gather up a troop, O daughter of troops, this is probably the right way to say it, muster your troops, O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us, and so on. Um, but the point is that the situation is utterly helpless. Um, in fact, you know, I, I, I'm straying from my notes, but I read a, a really, really awesome commentator who said a really, really, I think, sort of dumb thing, which was um, that God, after this, God would have himself um, something like a robust remnant from which to build his, you know, and I, I'm like a robust remnant? I don't think that's the point. I think these people are utterly helpless I don't think they're robust. I think they're helpless. And uh, God's saying, yeah, muster your troops. Uh, don't give up hope. Siege is laid against you. Um, they, they, they're going to strike you and so on. But, but don't give up hope. That's the point. The point is the situation's helpless. Um, but don't give up hope because there's this strange savior figure that, that is on the horizon. And even though it's kind of perplexing, um, this, this savior figure comes. Look at verse 2. But you... O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Now, I've read that at Christmas, like every Christmas. Um, and Ephrathah is probably the former, the, old, the ancient um, name of Bethlehem, okay? It's probably just tucked in there and, and folded in there. Uh, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Now, what's interesting about that is that it, you got this. Um, the Israelites are going, oh, Zion, the king of David, Jerusalem, our king will come from Jerusalem. No, he's not. He's going to come from Bethlehem Ephrathah, who's too little to be among the clans of Judah. Okay, one of the tiniest little places, the, the, the strangest, most humble places, that's where this deliverer figure is going to come. From you shall come forth for me. One is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So you've got this, this divine deliverer from ancient of days coming from this very humble place. Um, and, and that but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, is the hinge of this whole passage. It goes on. Um, God's going to give him up and so on. But in verse 4, this shepherd person, this deliverer, will stand with his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name. Uh, They will dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he himself shall be their peace. He's not just going to give them peace. He is going to be their peace because he's the Savior who has won them and is in their midst. 
All right, I close with this. This is a uh, quote from a, a really good, uh, good writer here. I took, a class, took two classes from this guy, too. Um, he says this. Huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, check it. He talks about, he talks about having a rock-anchored consolation. I really like that term, rock-anchored consolation. Isn't that what you want? In life and in, in, in trouble and heartache, don't you want a rock-anchored consolation? Well, he says this. Um, Micah does not say that God will reign only for a day or for a brief time, but forever. For if we thought that after helping us today, God would withdraw tomorrow like we did in Iraq and leave us in doubt as to when he might ever help us again, what sort of consolation would that be? Even if God should help us for a season or two, but we should not know about the future, we would still gain nothing. But when God assures us that his assistance will last to the very end, indeed, without end, and that in life and in death we shall feel his protection and safekeeping with greater assurance, what more could we want? This rock-anchored consolation. That's what the gospel offers you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it can take a life that has sunken for whatever reason. Take a life that has fallen to the very bottom and say, I can meet you there. Not only can I meet you there, but I can save you, I can help you, I can clean you, and you get me forever. He himself shall be their peace. Christ himself can be your peace. Righteous Father, we're um, a fragile people. We're fragile physically and um, fragile emotionally, fragile spiritually, and um, uh, we're, we're, we're utterly spiritually helpless without you. So uh, give us you, Lord. If there's a person in here who's a seeking man or woman, I just pray, Lord, that you would um, open up their hearts and uh, be tender to them and draw them to you. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who um, have received the Lord of glory. It's, 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 the same, it's the same lies. It's the same things that hearken unto us. Hath God said, and this will make you happy, and this thing will satisfy you, but the, the truth is only you will. So um, our prayer, my prayer, Lord, is that uh, Jesus Christ would be uh, our peace. Might he be my peace, Lord. Uh, and might you make that so in his name? Amen. Thanks, everybody.